0: Well, they've come to Montana with many a billionaire's blessing, American Prairie Reserve, now formally called American Prairie. And they want to control 3 million acres, or really 5,000 square miles, of Montana as a home for a free-roaming herd of about, plans are for 10,000 buffalo. Uh, The group has seen strong opposition from Montanans who object to the loss of productive ag land, caution about the damage the herd can do in the landscape, and object to American Prairie's request to what they would say, bend the rules in their favor. Let's talk about that today. Let's talk with the folks from American Prairie today. Pete Gettys, Vice President and Chief External Relations Officer on Voices of Montana. It's time for the fastest hour in radio from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana with Tom
1: Schultz. Call in today, 866-627-5483, or text a
0: comment or question to 781-627-5483. Now, here's your host, Tom Schultz. Thank you, Cody. I hope you guys are doing good. I hope you guys are kicking it today, getting that work done and uh, doing the things we need to do to take care of our families and take care of our communities and, and take care of ourselves as well. I appreciate you being here two decades strong. We are working on three. It's from Montana for Montana. Voices of Montana. An objective perspective, although I have to admit that sometimes it's, it's hard to be totally objective. I have admitted uh, frequently or at least um, informed uh, of, of of where I stand on a lot of things. And so, my, you know, I talk about objectivity. It's hard on this issue uh, a lot because I know things change. And let's admit it, we are nervous about change. But I I, do, I wouldn't say we're afraid of change. I would say we're nervous about it. I think uh, we can adapt to change, and I think we can manage change. Change doesn't – it doesn't have to be a downgrade. Um, example, the economy changed. A couple of years ago, uh, it was upgraded. We had uh, a lot of unemployment uh, – uh, pardon me, um, uh, record low unemployment, I should say, and, and the economy and jobs, manufacturing was coming back. Now – It's I would say it's a downgrade and I'm not talking I don't want to get into this, but uh, it's it's through specific policy directives that have have hurt the economy. The point is um, we can manage those changes, right? Uh, And the decisions we make will will be is it a downgrade or is it an upgrade? Um, And and I've gotten on this podium before managing change while still preserving our, our rural values. And I there's you can define rural values in a lot of ways. But I, I think three things that come to mind for me is an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, and that is personal accountability. Um, that's, that's one there. Family, community, um, I think that's the heart of purpose. Some of our rural America values are, are right there, strengthening our family, strengthening our community um, with, with purpose, with that heart of purpose. For me, it's a rural value. And then respect and stewardship. Um, because you make your living off the land, you are going to be. Um, a good steward over the land. Granted, we have learned along the way and we haven't always been that. We, I'm going to speak we um, colloquially, okay? Um, If you'll allow. Um, Changes in the farm and ranch world are common. Policy decisions, um, technology, production formulas. But the rural values remain and, and rural America matters. Rural America matters. It matters a lot to me. And I know it matters a lot to Montanans and I don't want to be soapbox Tom here, uh, but I've never gotten that rural America matters vibe from from some environmental groups. All right. And I, I, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying I've not gotten that vibe, I think. Uh, and, and that's a wall that some of these groups have to have to penetrate with me because I, I, I get the impression from some of these environmental groups that they're you know, they think we're just a bunch of hicks that that we don't know anything. We certainly don't know what's good for us. And, and for me, that's, that's insulting, and it's, it's the wrong approach. Um, I, I, think, I think when we talk about American Reserve, American Prairie, uh, I think m- many people like the idea of a manageable, free-roaming bison herd. Um, I myself am not opposed to it, but I think the devil's in the details. We're talking about uh, controlling 5,000 square miles of Montana if, if that plan bears out. And, you know, that's 3.4% of the 41st state. That's no small impact. Um, and and a reserve with X amount of buffalo, it's an intriguing idea, I think, and it it can be a good thing. But Montana families have sacrificed for 150 years to build their communities and and to live in them and and to build their operations and and build this rural America. And doggone it, rural America is a beautiful thing too, uh, and 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 it matters an awful lot. And let's see. And I know, I I, I don't know. I'm just going to ask. How Rural America Matters to the Folks at American Prairie. Um, and with that, I, I apologize. Pete Geddes is with us. Pete, I had to get on a soapbox a little bit uh, just to kind of frame this for me. And I know there's a lot of issues to talk about here with this. Uh, thank you for being here. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll ask about how rural America matters to you. Uh, but first, first welcome. Uh, this, is, this is not your first rodeo, is it?
2: no thank thank you tom and uh i really appreciate the opportunity to be on i was uh as as we were talking before the show i was on some years ago with your colleague and i think that just just to get right into it your very uh eloquent soapbox i really enjoyed that was instructive because of the values that you laid out trust respect work ethic all those sorts of things american prairie is a values-based organization And uh, what I hope to do today, and we're not going to get there in an hour for sure, (laughs) is to begin the conversation about what we have in common versus what we have apart. And so uh, that was very poignant to me. I think rural America does matter. Uh, We think it does at American Prairie Reserve. We think that agriculture in Montana is critically important to the communities in which we work, and we seek to be at the margins, very important, um, a positive contributor into the communities in which we work. Montana Ag's not going anywhere. Uh fifty-eight million acres of this state or so are, are in agriculture. And American Prairie, when we're all finished, is going to be surrounded by our neighboring cattle ranchers, and for our project to go well, that it has to go well for our neighbors. So we're committed to that. But what I thought I'd do for your listeners, since we haven't been on in a long time, is just provide a current update and then we can get into your questions. So You're correct in the the number of acres that we're interested in in the square miles. Our mission is to stitch together a complex of public and private lands that's 3.2 million acres in size. Very important, Tom, and I think this is where we can do a much better job of communicating this. Of that 3.2 million acres, 1.1 includes the Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge. That's the anchor for our project. So not that we own it or control it, but it's a National Wildlife Refuge, right? So the 3.2 million acres already includes a million acres of federal lands dedicated to wildlife restoration. And then our model for conservation, and I think you're exactly right about the vibe you get from some environmental groups, is quite different from the way we've done conservation in the past. So I spent 15 years in free market think tanks here in Bozeman, and uh, we often criticize environmental groups for seeking to use the power of government to get what they wanted. So spending a lot of time in D.C., lobbying for a national park, monument, wilderness area, whatever, rather than putting their money where their mouths are and going out and raising money to do what they want to do. So our model is just that we are not asking the federal government for anything, not an appropriation, not a designation, not special treatment around our grazing allotments. We're out there raising, and I know we'll get to this, uh, private money from donors all over the world. Uh, who are interested in this great American tradition of philanthropy and conservation. Nowhere else in the world do you see that that intersection. We buy land from people who want to sell to us. We, we have no ability to control the land, and it's a property rights approach. This is a very different model for conservation, and, and it's a new private lands conservation approach going forward. One last point on the total acreage I'll make, Tom, about control. When we're finished, about 20% of the land we will own of the three of the, uh, not the 3.2, take out the Charlie Russell, the 2.1 million acres or so. About 20% of that is going to be deeded land that we own in fee simple title. The rest of it are public lands in the form of BLM grazing allotments. These lands are public lands, will be public lands. We have grazing privileges to them, just like any other uh, owner of base properties. And these lands are and will remain forever open to the public for the public to enjoy. So when we think about you know, using a term like control, uh, we're subject on 80% of that total acreage to the laws and regulations that bound every other livestock operator going forward. We've done 34 transactions since 2004 with willing sellers. Those have gone quite well. The 73 Ranch is our most recent property. It's open for public access. And hunting this fall, we've got over seventy thousand acres enrolled in the state's block management program. I think we're the fifth largest participant in that. We also have opened up tens of thousands of formerly landlocked public lands by allowing uh, legal trespass over our deeded acres. We we are run uh, by Montanans. So we've got a staff of fifty divided between Lewistown, Bozeman, and then up in our project area. We have fifteen people who live on the properties with their families. They participate. In their local communities, they go to church, they go to kids in school, they shop in local stores. And our National Discovery Center is now open in Lewistown. It's a multi-million dollar private investment in Main Street there, open to the public. Um, we think it's going to be just a fantastic community asset there. We have six staff living in Lewistown. That number will grow. That's our national headquarters. Our Bozeman office is not open to the public, and we invite people to. Uh, to come on in and 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 see that fantastic facility, so that's just an overview of where we are now. Happy to happy to go in whatever direction you'd like.
0: Well, thanks. And and uh, typical of me, I just kind of we'll, we'll go where it goes. Uh, uh, again, that's Pete Geddes, who's with us here from uh, American Prairie um, and. Uh, let's and thank you for being here. Linda. Roma we're going to talk with uh, Scott Heidebrink who's the senior bison restoration manager. So we'll get we'll get some um information on on those plans and how to manage this land from your perspective again Pete Getty's vice president and chief external relations officer. Uh there's a lot of places to go there Pete let's let's just go back to um the the, the grazing allotments. Help um and this BLM decision. I mean this was a a huge decision and I think this is this is not the end. Of it here from uh, just some indications, I think, looking at this, but uh, the Bureau of Land Management has okayed, I think it was six of seven waiver requests. Now, um, I, I, when, when you say that you're not asking the government to create anything or do anything or you're not asking the federal government for, for any money, um, your, your tax-free status um, as a you know, nonprofit does take money out. Uh, especially production, if you take in production agriculture off um, off the board, so to speak, which you have uh, to a certain degree, um, your tax free status um, does take money away from um, the public coffers, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. So, so that was a two part question. There, yeah. we, we can start with our our tax status and then go to the BLM decision, if you'd like. So, we're organized under the internal under Section five hundred one c three of the Internal Revenue Code. So, we are. A, uh, uh, a nonprofit uh, charitable organization. Uh, the nonprofit code of the of the IRS is long standing in America. That are not you're familiar with nonprofits. They operate all over this country, doing all sorts all sorts of things. And it's true that donors get a tax deduction for any contributions they make to the American Prairie. We pay all our property taxes. We pay business equipment taxes. All that sort of stuff. We're exempt from um in, in uh, business tax that is true so i think that you know that's that's a whole separate uh, kettle of fish if you will if people are upset about our nonprofit profit status then you, you sort of get into an argument about uh changing that at the federal level uh, i just you know I, I don't really have an opinion on that we are what we are and uh and we're totally open and transparent about that on the blm decision this is really important, Tom, because we get this all the time, that, that we're getting special favors from the BLM. The only special favor we've gotten for the BLM is a, is a multi-year uh, process that most traditional ranchers would get resolved in 90 days. So if people want more of that special treatment, they're welcome to it. But what we're trying to do is, uh, on our BLM allotments, uh, substitute cattle for bison as the grazing animal, and that's permitted under the BLM regulations and we're confident in the legality of that decision. We think the BLM has done the correct analysis. Here's something that's really important, Tom, and I invite you and anyone else to come to, to Merv come to and Prairie and take a look. Not only have we had bison grazing on our BLM allotments for nearly a decade, but bison graze all over the American West on BLM allotments. This is something that's not new in any sense. And people who are concerned about the condition of the range, when you have uh, animal grazing year-round, as as we do on our Sun Prairie unit, I just invite them to come on out, and take a look. The condition of the range is either better or worse. That's just simply an empirical question. And the BLM analysis of our uh, range management with our bison—you can talk more with Scott about this—is that the range improves. This is not a surprise. Bison are a native grazers. Very well adapted to uh, the northern prairies, and they utilize the range slightly differently. Now, when I take legislators out to tour our bison pasture, which is 30,000 acres, no interior fence, year round grazing, surrounded by a wildlife friendly perimeter fence that's got a hot water in it, they have a hard time finding the animals and they wonder what the big deal is there. And the reason that is is because we stock our bison at a very very low rate we always use the nrcs most extreme drought conditions because two reasons one we don't want the range to be impaired and two it's a huge reputational problem if our bison are constantly pushing those fences so our bison management has to go very well and we have 800 bison on our property we lease uh Eighty, to Almost 90% of our other ranches are leased out to local ranchers. We've got something like 10,000 head of cattle on our properties leased to local area ranchers. A little bit lower numbers this year because of the drought. We imagine that will continue well forward into the future. Our bison growth plant plants are very gradual. This is one of those areas, that you, as you and I talked right before the show, where we could have done a better job communicating this. 10,000 bison is an aspirational goal. We don't think about that anymore. We think about uh, getting bison, as many bison as we can, that won't damage the range on large, contiguous units. It's very expensive for us to bison manage, to manage the bison, so we want to consolidate those herds. So with this BLM decision, now moving to that, by 2025. I tell you what, stand by. I gotta
0: I gotta take a break, Pete. Um and, and I appreciate sure. the, the information there. Let's come back and talk more about that BLM decision. Um and Sounds then good. yeah, and 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 then uh, Pete says, you know, uh, they want to be real transparent. So you got a question, call us here at 866 627 5483 You want to text a question, 781-627-5483. American Prairie today on Voices of Montana, and we're back with more in a bit.
1: When you work the land, you know, out there in some far corner of a field, there's an old
2: steel fence post that has your number. And that's when you should have ours. We're your certified Firestone Farm Tire dealer. And when you need service, give us a call. We're specially trained and equipped to handle all your on-farm, in-field tire
0: repair and replacement needs. Firestone and Tire-Rama, the leader in the field. Only at your local Montana and Wyoming Tire-Rama store. In Prairie today on Voices of Montana. Pete Gettys is with us. He's vice president of the organization and chief external relations officer. A bit later on, we'll talk with their senior bison restoration manager too, Scott uh, Heidebrink um, and 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 get more about uh, the the impact of, of currently eight hundred bison um, on the land. Uh, again, Pete, and I appreciate that you you, you know everybody's throwing that, that figure around ten thousand bison, uh, but that's you guys. Uh, then you just say you're you're sort of playing that by ear.
2: Well, yeah, I think I think we own that, Tom. We said that a lot early in in the days, and and just so your listeners are aware of of how our how we think about our bison expansion plans. Again. It's only on very large properties. We we don't want to have all these satellite herds running around the place. Currently, only three properties have bison. And again, we have some 10,000 cattle on the rest of our properties leased out to local ranchers. But if by 2025, under this current BLM decision, we'll have about 1,200 animals on the landscape. So... I think, you know, we've been around 20 years. We've had bison on the landscape since 2005, and you just have to ask yourself, you know, you look in the rearview mirror, and has it been disaster? And I don't, I think any honest answer is no, it hasn't been disaster. The listeners might be interested to know that we've reached, uh, we're coming into year three now, the settlement with the Phillips County Conservation District. They may be aware they passed a bison ordinance, and we spent about five years hammering out an agreement around disease testing and monitoring and sampling and we think that's a fantastic step forward we believed we had the legal high ground in that case but chose not to take it into court and rather work out a settlement because we think that's how you get relationships to a better place as you know they're based on trust and they take time there's no shortcutting that so this settlement with the conservation district in Phillips County where they now have you know, transparent access to all our disease testing and records. They're invited over to our bison handling. Scott can talk more about this. I think it's just a a really good step forward. And 10,000 bison maybe, but this is another 25-year project where we still have to assemble the land. Um, And so what people can expect to see on the landscape is a very, very gradual increase in the number of bison.
0: So the BLM decision uh, recently released, I think it was about uh, just a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact, has given um, uh, the final OK for American Prairie to to uh, graze bison. Um, the criticism of that is that uh, some groups believe that in doing that and removing their allotments from agricultural production for rewilding and uh, ecotourism is, is is what they'll say that a new precedent has been set with uh, BLM grazing laws. Uh, this, this is probably a bigger battle. Are you going to, and, and on the original request, you had, I think, I think 16 allotments in there. You paired that back uh, to seven. You won on six of seven. Um, are you going to continue this? Are you going to, again, uh, maybe re-up that request for those other um, nine or so allotments?
2: I don't think we'll go back to that original request. And, and again, in hindsight, that was an error on our part. It was just too big, too much, too fast. And 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 that's why we paired that back. Again, our bison management strategy is, is to put them on uh, big acreages, so minimum the 70,000 acres, where we can get them to exhibit their ecological impact, positive ecological impact on the landscape, and we can control the management costs. So what people should expect is we continue to operate as our mission. We're a mission-driven organization and, and our mission is to, to get the native grazer back out on again as big as landscapes as, as possible. So we'll let this BLM decision settle and then figure out what our next steps are. But just for example, Tom, every rancher who leases from us and they're in a three to five year leases, so they're long term leases, they know upfront what our plans are. Nobody gets surprised. When, um when and if we're going to put bison on the allotment and and uh, a rancher has to move his cattle off they'll get many years of notice there's no uh, sort of bait and switch with these leases people know exactly what they're getting into and generally they're very grateful for the grass and we're very grateful to have them operating on our on our lands it's a it's a win-win
0: um there, another criticism that come has come up and, and 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 thank you for allowing us to address this Pete uh, I appreciate that. Um, uh, the free roaming status of of the bison herd. Um, right now, uh, I think they're kind of considered uh, as livestock, so uh, you've got to test them, and that was part of the agreement a few years ago with Phillips County, um, and and be responsible about that. If that turns into a free roaming herd, then it becomes wildlife, and then and then your li- liability on that is um, completely reduced. Um, how? Yeah. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah, so here's
2: the short story of the status of bison in Montana. Nowhere in Montana, with the exception of Yellowstone National Park, are bison classified as wildlife. You may be aware that the state legislature in the last two sessions has passed a number of bills making it essentially impossible to classify bison as wildlife outside of Yellowstone. So our bison are domestic livestock. This. This notion that they're free roaming is correct only in the sense that they're free roaming within a thirty thousand acre pasture surrounded by a fence. So that's how our bison move around. If and when the people of Montana would like to have a a herd of bison classified something different as wildlife, then they're going to have to work through a state process. We'd be—that's our goal—is to have bison as wildlife, but that's not our decision. It is totally not up to us, and we're happy more than happy to run our bison as livestock for forever, essentially. So that's the that's the status. We don't spend any time lobbying the legislature. I know there was a bunch of hullabaloo about us being cahoots for the Bullock administration. That was just uh, just not true. We were one of the largest participants in the state's block management program. We are one of the the biggest uh you know grazers of the public lands in montana and and uh it's no surprise that we'd be in contact with uh the administrations of of, of every sort of stripe as we are with the gene forte administration we have interests and we try to align our interests with uh, the governor's interests, particularly around public access and enjoyment and employment in rural areas
0: um i'm looking at um a, a document here that came out in relation to A lawsuit filed by United Property Owners of Montana um, and the Fish, Wildlife and Parks Department um, where they uh, I think a settlement was enacted after this where they have shown and have seen emails because they requested this um, that that members of the Biden administration were working with you guys, despite the FWP saying that we are not working behind closed doors with with American Prairie. Um, talk about this case and talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, the settlement on that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't have, uh, I can't see the emails that you're referring, so I really don't know, but, uh, we were in close connection with the, uh, Bullock administration, not the Biden administration. I think that's Pardon what me. that lawsuit was around Pardon me. because uh, I recall that, uh, when Martha Williams was head of fish, wildlife and parks, they started an environmental impact statement process to explore, bison as wildlife so of course we're interested in that and it shouldn't surprise anybody that we had many conversations wrote letters that were totally open and transparent that's how you got them we wrote letters that are in the public record expressing our desire to cooperate in any in any manner that we could and essentially asking them to let us know how we could help and that remains our our position today that we would like to collaborate and be helpful if we can Otherwise, we keep our heads down and, and stick to our knitting. So I don't know why the Dean administration settled with EPOM. You'd have to ask them about that. I don't understand those dynamics at all. But uh, nothing nefarious was going on there. Um, again, if it, if, you know, if it was, those records wouldn't have been so easily available. They're, they're letters that we sent to the governor. You can post them on your website and let people think about think what they will about that but there was no backdoor channels no secret meetings no nothing to to be surprised that a group with a wildlife restoration mission was interested in uh, a state planning process around bison's wildlife shouldn't shock anybody i don't think
0: if people want to read that they can go to united property owners of montana do a search for it um it was a letter that was addressed to um members of the fish and wildlife and parks department so it wasn't addressed to to american prairie um, and, uh, again, you, you can find that there. We're coming up against a break. Uh, I've got, uh, let's see, a couple of text messages here to get to and then uh, a, a call as well. And I appreciate you taking all this, Pete. Pete Geddes is with us. We'll get a little bit of information here after the break from Scott Heidebrink as well, who's the senior bison restoration manager. Glad to have you joining us all across Montana in Bozeman. It's KMMS uh, in Great Falls, KQDI, 1450 AM. We're along the High Line in Haver as well we are talking about an important issue today american prairie their plans for uh and i don't think they like the word american serengeti anymore uh but uh, 10000 bison on 3 million acres uh the better better portion of that still public land uh text messages are coming in at 7816275483 and then uh, I've got a caller on the line, too, at 866-627-5483. Pete, uh, this, this will go fast. We'll have to kind of play lightning round. And my apologies to Scott Heidebrink. Scott, thank you for being here. I think that you've got way more to offer and inform us on than we have time for. But as Senior Bison Restoration Manager, what are you seeing is the impact of 800 bison on 70,000 acres at American Prairie? And, and good morning, sir.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. Um, yeah, I would say most of our, the impact we're seeing, all of the impacts we're seeing are positive. You know, we're seeing um, riparian areas improve um, and mainly that's because our bison are not spending a lot of time down in those riparian areas. They're going to get water and then getting back upland. They move about three and a half miles a day and uh, so they're moving a lot, not spending time at water. So uh, what we're seeing is uh, plant diversity increased to some degree and then also those riparian areas improving and we're uh, meeting and it, or exceeding all the state and uh, BLM standards that are required of our allotments.
0: Um, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, where, where do we see the proof of that?
1: Um, so anybody can get those assessments from the BLM if they request them. Uh, they can also come out and visit us. Um, I encourage anybody to come out and check our check out our Sun Prairie allotment where we have uh, two BLM allotments that have had bison on for over 10 years. And uh, things look real good, even through the drought. We're looking real good, just like everyone else. We we reduced our stocking rate for the drought. But, uh, yeah, I encourage anyone to come out and look at our allotments.
0: What What, have you, what do you learn, Scott, from... From what's going on in Yellowstone National Park, um, I, I referenced and we did a, a show on this as well. There's an ecological assessment. Um, the, the park there, I think the big problem there is overpopulation. MSU did a study on that as well. And, and they have noted um, several uh, denigrating conditions to, to the landscape because of that. How does that inform um, what you guys do?
1: you know i'm I am familiar with that research, and uh you know their their populations there. I would say you know largely it's a completely different ecosystem, different management, and uh we're we're managing our bison as livestock, and so we have a lot more control over uh what those bison are doing on the landscape, and we're able to uh address anything much quicker. And so I would say it's it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges. There, uh, we're we're just very different in management and and uh, uh, the region. So, so yeah, things are just quite different for us from them.
0: Scott, uh, stand by. Why don't you stay on the line, Pete? Did you want to um, ask Scott a question so uh, that that we get out of him what you think we um, we need to hear?
1: Yeah,
2: hey Scott, good morning. So I think one of the concerns that we hear is is about the condition of the range from having year-round grazing, um, which you've addressed a little bit. But could you talk a, a little bit to people about how we contain our bison and what your plans are, the fences that we use? And then I think let's circle back to the, that Phillips County Conservation District settlement.
1: How is that going from your perspective? Oh yeah, to uh, start with uh, containment, like Pete mentioned earlier, we do closely monitor our stocking rate and we do stock lighter, uh, to prevent a lot of issues from happening. Um, but our main perimeter fence is it's a four wire fence, um, with one electric wire. We've had really good luck with it. Uh, we do a lot of maintenance on that fence where we try to get around the entire 80 miles of fence, uh, about every 10 days. And so we're, Constantly monitoring that, working on it, uh, and working with neighbors if there are any issues. And then, uh, Pete, what was your second question?
2: Just about how the Phillips County Conservation District
1: settlement has gone
2: from your perspective.
1: Right. Yeah, We to start, we, we had a pretty robust uh, disease testing protocol uh, before we reached the agreement with Phillips County. Um, we just added bunch of testing to that um to address any concerns uh neighbors and the community might have about bison having diseases the agreement's going great uh we meet a couple times a year with the conservation district i occasionally attend meetings with them they come out tour the range we give them any escape records we have of bison that have gotten out uh, any disease testing results that we have and and to date we've had no uh no positive tests for these diseases of concern.
0: And and that's a big thing. Um, that, that's of concern here as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw this one your way, Scott. Uh, again, it's on the text line here at 781-627-5483. Uh, could you ex- please explain how they expect neighboring ranchers to appreciate the grizzlies and wolves necessary to control the numbers when they reach thousands of bison, free roaming there, if it's wildlife refuge, um, those grizzlies and those wolves are also going to be a problem. This is me summarizing here um, for, for our ranchers. Um, How do you, how do you plan on uh, dealing with that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, grizzlies and wolves would be under the management of either the state of Montana or the federal government. We have nothing to do with reintroducing them. Um, If they would show up on the land state, um, we have our, uh, wild sky ranching program that uh in pays uh pays ranchers for tolerating wildlife such as uh, carnivores like like wolves and grizzlies and then to manage to address the managing numbers of bison uh we're just like any other we're pretty close to any other cattle operation that's out here uh we we have corrals we we handle our bison Every year, we do the disease testing. We ship bison out to other bison herds. And then we also have a uh, harvest program where we, uh, we harvest a certain number of bison every year. Some of those, Most of those are through the public, through a drawing, where people can put their name in the hat and come out and shoot a bison. And then we also harvest a number every year for uh, local food banks where uh, we send all the meat uh, to them.
0: And and um, I'm going to go to the phones here. I've got plenty of comments, but um, I, let's get some uh, a call in. This is from Helena on KCAP. Charles, you're on the air here with American Prairie. Thanks for calling today on Voices.
3: Hi. Thank you. And, and thanks for uh, taking a, the hot seat today. Um, I, I just found it interesting, uh, your comments on the BLM, you know, saying that you're not asking for special treatment when that's exactly what you're doing, uh, the BLM. Application asked to remove all of the interior fences, go to year-round grazing. That's not something any other rancher would be afforded. And then on the uh, FWP issue, you know, you got caught red-handed uh, trying to work out a secret deal with the Bullock administration. And I'm glad Tom pushed back on you on that today. And and then to hear you today talk about um, how friendly you are to ranching um, when we've seen uh, pitches APRs made to. Donors in Silicon Valley talking about how destructive ranching is and how you're trying to remove agriculture from the landscape. So I think, you know, you've got a real credibility problem. And I guess the question is, how are Montana supposed to uh, trust APR when you're so inconsistent on the messaging?
0: Thanks, Charles. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and, and done rather diplomatically.
2: Yeah, very diplomatically. Appreciate that question. It's a great question. As I said a number of times, that you know we're responsible for some of our messaging, which has not been particularly helpful going forward. We need to do a better job on that. Um, just taking those three points. I hope you took notes, Tom. I, I didn't get all that down. But on the special treatment thing, that's just simply not true. Mark Albers, who's just retired now as the uh, Central Montana District Manager for the BLM, is on record in the Glasgow Courier saying any ranchers. Uh, welcome to bring forward any kind of change of use request and the BLM will consider it. It all hinges on what the condition of the range is going to be. So if you think you can run a cattle operation with year round grazing and no interior fences, you're welcome to convince the BLM that that is going to go the way they want it to go in terms of rangeland health. There are lots of cattle allotments across the American West that have year round grazing to them. So there's, there's no special treatment here. Um, we don't believe uh, that agriculture in American Prairie is a binary choice. It's, it's not a zero-sum game. We win, you lose, vice versa. We think uh, we know that we're going to have to do a much better job of building trust with our neighbors in order for our conservation project to be ultimately successful. That trust building just takes time. There's no substituting it. You can't do it with, with fancy PR and marketing. you got to do it with on-the-ground relationships like Scott Heidebrink is engaged in with the neighbors around our bison pasture, with the Phillips County Conservation District, with Fergus County Commissioners, Garfield Petroleum, all that kind of stuff. And we have people on the ground who are advancing those relationships. So that's just going to take time. It, it may take uh, decades. And again, Tom, as I've told you, we're not looking for philosophical alignment. We're just hoping that disagreement doesn't get in the way of doing productive things for the communities in which we work. So just for yeah. example, we spend a time with the emergency medical services in Fergus County, um, working with them to understand their needs and, and how we might be able to help them on some of our properties that we have people visit, like the P.N. Ranch. So can we preposition equipment for you? making sure they know exactly where our visitation facilities are. So if a 911 call comes in, they know where to go. So those little things add up over time, and that's uh, that's the path we're on.
0: And, and, Pete, you said a couple of times you're not looking for philosophical alignment, but when we talk about how rural America matters, there's uh, a necessary philosophical alignment there. And and so can, can American Prairie be more like rural America and less like an environmental organization running an American Serengeti?
2: Well, I think America Prairie is what it is. We are who we are, you know, and and we don't try to be anything else. We don't try to shake it. I grew up in New York, Tom. I don't wander around in cowboy boots. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. in a blue blazer and tasseled loafers. You know, I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. And, uh, you know, when we have six staff living in Lewistown, working in those communities, 15 people up on our properties. Uh, you know, you, you hear from Scott Heiderink. We have people who are trained as range ecologists and botanists and all that kind of stuff. There's a real deal. And that's how those relationships move forward and that's how we we uh get to a better place. It's it's through deeds, not words. We're gonna talk about it, we just do it. So there's a little bit of a you gotta trust us in this and see how things go. I think, you know, one example of where we made a ton of progress with the hunting community is around our public access. You know, the fifth largest participant in the block management program, um access to hunters. Uh, access to previously land- landlocked lands. Five years ago, there were a lot of people in the hunting community who were very skeptical of what we we're going to do around public access, and we've gotten there just by doing what we say we're going to do, and that's what we do.
0: Um, I, I got to take a break here, and then come on back. We probably won't have a ton of time. Uh, I do have a question when you when you talk about. Um, you know, growing up in New York and, and not running around in cowboy boots, I, I, I get that. I can appreciate that. But I want to ask the question about, um, you know, how long have some of your donors spent in rural America? How how do they value rural America? What do you think? Um, how do you define rural America? Pete Geddes is with us. Scott Hydebrink as well. It's American Prairie Today on Voices of Montana. Back with more of it.
3: Montana hospitals make a promise to be the safety net for their communities.
0: When you're in a car crash 100 miles from a hospital, you hope someone's coming.
3: Here's Curtis Harper of Logan
0: Health Cut Bank. A year ago, our county ambulance was at a crossroads. Our local hospitals stepped up and said, we'll run it. If we didn't, more than 3,000 square miles would be without an ambulance. We had to figure it out. Today we're saving lives in Cut Bank, and now we're helping along the High Line too. It's one more way our hospitals are keeping their promise to Montana. Pete, I appreciate your time. Pete is the vice president and chief external relations officer. And then also still on the line, senior bias and restoration manager, Scott Hydebrink. Scott, we'll have to circle back with you. I know you've got uh, probably a little more to offer there. There's some more questions. Want to get one comment here um, and to close this out from the text line, the letter from APR. um, And again, this is in reference to uh, discussions with uh, members of the Bullock administration through the FWP. Um, discovered the letter from APR was pressuring the administration to do APR's bidding uh, for free-roaming bison on the CMR before Bullock left office. At the same time, the administration was vowing they had no discussions in the works. Uh, and I think that has been uh, proved out as well. Pete, thank you again. I know it can be hard, uh, but um, and, 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 and change does take us by surprise at times. We only have like a, less than a minute here. How much time have your donors spent in rural america how does rural america matter to them
2: yeah that's a great question tom i think rural america matters a great deal and it's been undergoing change uh, sometimes dramatic change for a very long time as rural areas do all over the world if you look at europe the uh, you know the, the mechanization of agriculture the substitution of capital for labor the massive increase in productivity International trade bills, et cetera, et cetera, all drive change that can be very unsettling. And and I get that. We understand Montana's rural communities, towns of 100 people, uh, plus or minus one or two kids in the school matters a great deal. Uh, Our donors care about the prairies like all Montanans do. And one of the reasons we're working where we're working is because uh, those prairies have been sorted for a very long time very well. and They remain in their native state. So our donors are interested in conserving an ever-vanishingly a, a small slice of a really underprotected biome globally. It's a globally important conservation project, Pete, and that's our
0: Thank you so much it. for that. We're, we're out of time. The lady's already talking, uh, so the, the show's over. Scott Heidebrink, I, I appreciate you being on here as well. Pete Geddes, uh, thank you. Uh, I look, to conti- uh, look forward to continuing the conversation with you.
2: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate
0: it. Yep. Scott, Pete, thanks, you guys. And thank you for being here. Open phones tomorrow.